0: Alright, we're, we're going to talk about, so Jesus is walking, he's coming down the, uh, the Jordan River Valley, he's in Jericho, he's getting ready to enter the uh, city of Jerusalem for Passover, his final time. There are two parables, Luke 19 and Matthew 25, that sound very similar, and a lot of people think they are, Luke has just expanded the one in Matthew we're talking about today, we're going to find there actually are different parables talking about different things. Uh, we'll take the easy one first. Matthew 25. Uh, I'm not going to read this because it's really long. And the, and the next one's longer. We're going to read the next one. Uh, we know this parable. Uh, there is a man about to go to a jury. He calls his three slaves. Uh, he gives his possessions to them. Uh, he gives five talents, uh, two talents, one talent. And then, you know, the, the five talents gains five talents, two talents gains two talents. The one talent buries his in the, uh, in the ground. Uh, the master comes back, uh, and then he comes, you know, five, you, know, you know the story, five talents comes up, says, I gained five talents. Uh, says... You were faithful in a few things, I'll put you in charge of many things. The two talent comes up, same thing. One talent comes up, uh, and he says, Master, you're a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid, and I hid your talent in the ground. So what you have is yours. And he gives the talent back. And then the master says, You're a wicked, lazy slave. Uh, you should have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival, at least I would have got interest. Uh, Take the town away from him, give it to the one who has 10 talents, and throw him out in the darkness uh, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, uh, talks about this, and then the companion one is Luke 19. Uh, These occurred about the same time, but they're not the same uh, parable. Uh, While they were listening to these things, Jesus went to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. That's the most important part about this. We've talked about all the time, the apostles especially were saying, they're, they're doing the money dance. You know, you've all seen that when you're about to come into money, everyone's like dancing, going like, we're about to be in charge. We're heading to Jerusalem. Where's all the money in Israel? Jerusalem. Where are they headed? Jerusalem. What is Jesus about to do in their minds? He's about to take over. Because you know, we just had the chapter before this, James and John's mother coming to Jesus saying, hey, when you come into your power, make my boys number one, number two. And so they're still thinking, even after Jesus tells them over and over and over and over again that I'm going to die, that I'm going to be crucified, they don't believe him. And so they're doing their happy dance at this point. They're, you know, they're in Jericho, which is a one-day walk from Jerusalem. It's uphill, but it's a one-day walk. So they think, man, he's coming. What a perfect time to start the kingdom. It's Passover, right? All the Jews are here. Jesus, we know he's powerful. We've seen him raise people from the dead. We've seen miracles. He's gonna throw down. Boom, he's gonna be king. Boom, I'm gonna be rich. That's what the apostles are thinking right here. And so Jesus tells the same parable, a similar parable, twice. We, we just read the last one. And this one, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then returned. He called ten of his slaves and gave them 10 minas to them and said, do business with this until I come back. His, the citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him that he knew what business they had done. The first appeared and said, master, your minas made 10. You gave me 10, we made 10. Second appeared, said, your Master, you gave me ten, we made five. Uh, the third one comes and says, Master, here's your minna. I was afraid of you because you're an exacting man. You, do not, you take up what you did not lay down, you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, By your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you not know that I'm an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down, reaping what I did not sow? Why didn't you not put my money in the bank, and having come, I already collected it with interest? Then he said to the bystanders, Take the men away from him and give it to one who has ten. And they said to him, Master, he already has ten. And I will tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given, but to those who do not have, even what he does have will be taken away. And these enemies of mine who do not want want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence." this is a really tough parable you have Jesus basically saying if you don't do what I say, I'm gonna take your stuff away and I'm gonna kill it. I am going to kill you is that what Jesus is really saying there we hope not because otherwise we're, we're, we're in the wrong business alright let's compare these alright comparing the parable of the men as in the talents uh, Luke we have 10 servants Matthew we have three uh, in Luke, you have a king traveling to sh- secure his throne. In Matthew, you have a trip with an unknown return. So the, guy, the guy's going away and he says he doesn't know when he's coming back. Uh, in Luke, you're given ten minutes each. Uh, in Matthew, everybody gets the same. In Matthew, you've got variable amounts of talents. And here's the big difference. In, in Luke, Amina is about three months pay. So they're given a pretty good amount of money, but it's not life changing. In Matthew, a talent is 20 years worth of pay. So everybody got a phenomenal amount of money. One guy got, uh, let's see, 20 years times 10, he got 200 years worth of pay, boom. The other one got 100 years worth of pay, boom. Even the guy that we look at who did not do the job got 20 years worth of pay. So they're all given this fantastic amount of, of wealth. Uh, in Luke, at the end, the king is generous. In Matthew, the rich man is just. A little bit different. All right, let's talk about one of the big things. The word, uses the word here. Your, most of your Bibles probably translate it servant. That's not the Greek word here. The Greek word is clearly slave. It's uh, Slaves are pretty simple. They were very, very frequent in the first century. In fact, uh, most people will tell you that in the city of Rome, which at this obviously controls everything at this point in time, Rome had a population of at least a half a million people. which. In that in that a you know day and age was an incredible amount of people. Ninety percent of them were slaves. Slaves was different because there were varying degrees of sl- most slavery in those days was you had a job to do and once you did it you were you could go do what you wanted, and that there was hierarchy amongst the slaves, so that the guy who owned everything everyone else under him are sl- his slaves. But you had slaves. We, we know from Roman writings there were slaves who owned other slaves. It was not unusual that as you gained money, you would buy slaves to run your own business. And so in Rome, we had businesses that were owned by slaves, run by slaves. And so the, the key is slaves are owned. You really only get one choice as a, as a slave. You either obey or not obey. And that decision res- results in life or death. You don't, get, you don't get to pick. Servant is, you know, we, we like servant because, you know, if I don't like servant, man, I'm out of here. You're a slave. You're not a servant. You either say I either obey or I don't obey. And the master has the right. If you do not choose to obey, he can kill you. That's slavery. And so the words are, in, ten, in both these parables, they're exactly the same word. They're slave. And so what Luke and what Matthew are trying to say is. You are you are God's or Jesus' slave. You get to choose whether you obey him, and once you choose to obey him, then you become his. So th- that's in both these parables. Would the slave of the slave have life or death power over his slaves? Yes, uh, and then. Uh, you could, you could theoretically buy your freedom if your master chose to grant it. But one of the more interesting parts of the uh, tax law in Rome is it was more expensive to free a slave than it was to sell a slave. Because they knew, they knew if you freed a slave, you would not get to collect the tax on him anymore. And so you actually, there was actually a tax on freeing slaves. It was 5% of the value of the slave. So if you wanted to free him, you freed him, and, but you had to pay the government 5%. Because there was a head tax on slaves. And so if you're not a slave, it's you, you, if, you're, if, you're a free, if you're a free man, it's a different tax bracket. So, you know, it, it, you know, Doug will tell you, it all comes down to money, right? all comes down to taxes and money. That That's death and, taxes. death and taxes. That's right. It's all about taxes. All right. So Matthew and the Talents. Uh, this gift that, it, that they're given is, is all incalculable. I mean, to the average person of that day, this was an unbelievable amount of money. All three of them got that same incalculable gift. And kind of the, the meaning of this was do the best with what you are given because you know, there are variable amounts given. And he's, no matter what the response was for people who did his will, it was your good and faithful servant. And so that's kind of the message he's telling them. And more importantly, the message that he's telling them is, remember this is Jericho leading up to the, to the entrance of the city is, you don't know when I'm coming back. Because again, they're thinking Jesus is about to establish a kingdom. And what he's trying to tell them is, I'm going away and you don't know when I'm coming back. So you have to be faithful while I'm gone. So that's That's the biggest uh, message that this parable gives. It does not give them at the time because, you know, they're still thinking, especially triumph of entry, which is the next day, they think he's about to be king. But it's one of those things that, you know, after the crucifixion, after the ascension, all of a sudden you can see all these guys think as they're writing these books down, going like, oh, that's what he meant when he said this. He's coming back. He'll come back, but not. We don't know when. All right. Let's talk about Luke 19. Far harder parable. Uh, there are a lot of things in this. Uh, let's start with. First of all, where does Jesus get these? You know, we talked about a lot of these are rabbinic stories. This parable is actually a true story. You know, the, the names are changed to protect the innocent. That's what this story is. Change, protect, and guilt. Or the guilt in this case, the guilty. Yes. Uh, everybody in Palestine would have known this story. As soon as he starts it, they recognize this story. It happened twice. Herod the Great, 40 BC. and then his son, Herod Archelaus, in 6 AD, did exactly what happens in this parable. Uh, Herod the Great, 40 B.C., backed Anthony and Cleopatra during the Civil War after Julius Caesar dies, or after Julius Caesar is assassinated. Uh, The world's greatest... Stephen talked about how great a builder he was. He was a better salesman. He backs Anthony and Cleopatra completely. He sends his troops to fight with them. He sends money to them. They, of course, clearly there's no... Caesar Anthony, right? So clearly he loses the battle. Anthony's killed. Cleopatra commits suicide. Herod, at that point, what you have to know is he grew up with Augustus because Herod was a uh, hostage for his dad. So he was taken to Rome. He was educated with Caesar's children, who was Augustus. Uh, So he runs to Rome and throws himself on the mercy of the court and convinces... Augustus Caesar, that uh, he will be as great a friend to Augustus as he was to Antony and Cleopatra, and Augustus does not cut his head off, and in fact gives him more territory and makes him appoints him king of this area. So everybody knows that story. All right, Herod dies in four BC. He splits his kingdom up. Let's see if I got a map. Here we go. It gets really confusing when you're talking about the Herods because they all have the same name, second name. So he has four children, one, two, three, four. Uh, he dies before uh, Herod does, so Agrippa becomes the next. Uh, they split, Herod dies, they split his kingdom up. Philip's out here, this is Antipas, this is Archelaus. Uh Yes. The great, the dad. The the Herod at the top. Right, Herod at the top. He's the one that he controls everything in that era. He's the one. The he is, as Stephen says last year, he is the most paranoid guy you will ever meet. He, we know that he killed at least ten of his children. He killed at least four wives. If he does not think you're on his team, if you're not on Team Herod, you're dead. The only reason these the four boys uh, probably survived is Herod died before he got paranoid about them. Ironic, since he's the traitor of it. Yes. Well, well, he he. Got away with it. Well, of course he knows it. Did you see, the Herod in Luke 19. No. Uh, Herod in Luke 19 is uh, uh, Antipas, because uh, Archelaus. Uh, Let's see if I've got another slide. Yes. Oops, sorry. sorry. Go back. Uh, Archelaus is uh, crowned ethnarch, which, which means leader of the people. He wants to be king. He is a horrible king. He's not as, he's not as good as his dad. And uh, in fact, in the 10 years that he is uh, ethniarch of the area, there are four or five Uh, messiahs show up there's a Simon there's a Judah there's a Paul uh, all of whom start rebellions and so he decides that uh, the way you stop a rebellion is you kill everybody and so there's a there is a Passover where the temple is full Archelaus takes the troops kills everybody in the temple 6,000 people That, by the way, is not how you pacify people, especially the Jews. Uh, And so he says, yeah, I'm the man. I've just killed 6,000. Everyone's pacified. I'm going to Rome and asking my buddy, Augustus, again, who he grew up with, where he actually grew up with Augustus' son, "Uh, make me king. So he hands all his stuff off to people, all his slaves and servants, he goes to Rome. The Jews send a uh, group of people behind him saying, we hate this guy, don't make him king. And uh, Augustus is kind of balanced between it. And then while he is there, a fifth Messiah shows up and occupies Jerusalem. And uh, Quintus, who is the governor of Syria, we know this because he was the governor when Jesus was born. It says that in the time of Quintus, there was a census. Quintus is the governor. is the, uh, uh, oh, what's his name, diehard? Uh, Bruce Willis. He's the Bruce Willis of Rome, all right? Uh, everybody knows him. He is the greatest military hero. So while Archelaus is in Rome, there's a rebellion in, in Jerusalem. So, Arche- so Quintus has to bring his division, his legions down to Jerusalem. He pulls the Roman thing. He, he also kills everybody, but Romans are supposed to do that. Uh, and so he pretty much cleans the city out and he writes a letter to Augustus and says Archelaus is an idiot. Do not put him in power. And so Archelaus is banished to Gaul. And Uh, Pro-councils are appointed for this area, which is, we all know Pontius Pilate, Festus, and Felix in in that order. So that's how, so this story that Jesus is telling is based on a true story. The people just need to know which direction is he going. Which, Which story is he telling? Is he telling about Herod the Great or is it about Herod Archelaus? And Jesus takes like everything else, twists the story. This is not about the king. This is about the people. So in Luke, uh, what we're talking about, are we talking about prophets or are we talking about faithfulness in in this particular uh, parable? The parable, uh, the words we need to look at are the words business, until, and by your own word, we talked about slaves. All right do business with this until I come back. Are we talking about profits, or are we talking about faithfulness? Uh, the word used here, the normal word for the Greek scholars, Ophelia or Samphiro, is the usual business word for profit. When you say in Greek, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do business, I wanna make profit, that's the word you use. Luke, who is a very educated Greek, uses a word here that's used nowhere else in the New Testament, which I can't even pronounce this word Uh, and so uh, what the word what this meaning is is who had you had transactions with as agents of the king it's really more transactional it's not did you make money it's who did you have who did you do business with because in those days as as an agent you kept a book Remember three or four weeks ago we talked about uh, the bad steward and the and the, the rich man says, turn your books into me. They kept books of transactions of who they had transactions with so that when they came, their books were reviewed you could see, oh, you made a loan to Jim Smith. You bought oil from Joe Blow. And so you could look and see. Uh, so the, the thought with this is that as the king comes, he can see who you, had, who you had relations with as, because remember, the slaves are an agent of the king. Yes? So does that assume trading by low, sell, high kind of process? No. No? Not necess- no. Not necessarily. You've got to remember, in, in this day, uh, capital, uh, fungible money was very, very rare. Most people had land, and you had oil, or you had wheat. Trading in commodities. Commodities are very common. Uh, is that what that really means? No, because when he says minas, they mean cash. So the only people who really have cash are the kings. And so he's given these guys cash, and the question is, what does he want them to do with that cash? Does he want him to have profits, or does he want to get out and show the king's name? And then the the next part is this word until, uh, which is the Greek word anho. Uh, The literal meaning is in which, which makes no no sense in English. Uh, In which I come back. I don't know what that means. There are two ways you can translate it. It depends on whether you are reading a Greek Bible, a Coptic, Aramaic, and Syriac Bible. The Greeks, once again, they tend to be more transactional. They interpret it until which is why most of our Bibles come out of the Greek. So most of your Bibles, as you read English translations, will read the word until. Do business until I come back. And that, that kind of gets more time reference, more business profit related. You know, make money while the sun shines, right? You know, a lot of our words that we use are very much that way. The Aramaic and the Syriac translate this Another completely allowable translation is the word because. And so, do business because I am coming back. And that, that, that's not, there's no doubt that I am coming back. And that's, I think what Jesus is saying here is, I am coming back. Be agents of me because I'm coming back and I'm going to see what you did. And so, if you... Uh, look at that, the question is, which profit are you? Profit or profit? Are you looking for cash profit? Which is do business transactions until I come back? Which is kind of a Greek way to interpret this. Or an Aramaic way to interpret this is, I want you to be a strong representative of me because I am coming back. And when I come back, I want a, a strong showing in the city where you're at. Because you got to remember, the people sent and um, they did not like the king. And so, when he hands his money to his servants, they're going to have tremendous opposition because the people don't like the king. And so it's not. And so, when you you had become agents of the king, which essentially think, I am opening up the bank of we'll we'll call, we'll call Jesus the king, the bank of Jesus. So I am. Or I'm opening up the, I'm going to take that money and I'm going to trade uh, carpets. So this is Jesus' carpet shop. And so everybody knows who, you, who owns the shop. It's not you. It's the king. Uh, it's, uh, what comes to mind is, I've, have you ever been to the Tower of London? There's a gift shop right outside the door of the Tower of London. The queen owns that gift shop because I found out when I went in there, because the queen does not have to pay sales tax. Did you know that? So it's a great place to buy souvenirs. There's no sales tax on your stuff. And it says on the receipt, property of Her Majesty the Queen. And so that's kind of the the feel that you're getting here is that these 10 slaves are out here. Uh, He doesn't care that much that they make money. What he wants them to do is to be strong advocates for him, while he has gone, so that the people don't forget who the real king is. And so they want to be strong in the face of the opposition, but you know the people are not going to like them because otherwise they would not have sent the 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 embassy to uh, Rome to stop the king. Uh, so that's so a it's. So depending on who you like, the Greek or the Aramaic translation, the Greek is more make money while you can until I come back. The Aramaic view is more I want you to be out amongst the people being a strong representative of me because I am coming back. I like the concept of because I'm coming back because I think it fits with what Jesus is telling them, which is bad things are about to happen they don't believe bad things are about to happen, but they are. You know, he's coming into the city, it's gonna be Holy Week, at the end of the week he's gonna be crucified. And they're gonna be going, he's gone. And then he shows back up and then he goes to heaven. And so as they think back on this, I think that concept of be strong for me because I am coming back. I I think is how, to me this is a, 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 the way I would I would like to translate that. So if you want to know one thing about this parable, be for me in front of all the people because I am coming back as king. Cuz remember when he goes away he's establishing the kingdom. The, the man the person in the story is going away to be given the kingdom. So when he comes back he is the king. He is not he is not, you know, in tr- he is not just ruler he is the king which is the power of life and death kings have the power of life and death all right let's talk about how they how they respond to him when he comes back Uh, it's interesting this because the slaves all say that the two slaves it's very interesting we don't hear from slaves three four five six seven eight nine we just hear one and two and ten they all say, your minas has produced, not me, not my work. It's the, the recognition that all the good comes from the gift of the king. And, and so in both the Greek, it says the king's gift has done all the work, not the slaves. And more importantly, which is why I think this is more He's asking them about how many transactions have they done as agents of the king is that he does not reward them for profit. He says he rewards them for faithfulness. The fact that they are in, in the face of opposition in the face of the king is not there, they are faithful to his name. And that he, they do what he asked them to do. They, sorry, they did what he asked them to do. So that's why uh, I, I lean towards the because I'm coming back. All right, slave number three, which is actually number 10. Uh, and he said to him, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you not know that I am an exacting man taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you put, not put my money in the bank and having come, I would have collected with interest? All right, this is where culture comes into play. Because is Jesus saying he is a hard man, that he is a uh, robber baron? Because that's, that's one way you can look at this. What I think the, uh, the king is saying here is the slave number three has a skewed view of the king remember in parables there is always a righteous person that's the the way parables are structured and so uh, the king here is the righteous person in this parable uh, slave number three the first thing it is he had he hid his allegiance he did not he was not a strong proponent of the king he was given this gift and he, he hid it uh, and he's his fear of both the king and the fear of the opposition causes him to have a skewed view of the king. Uh, you have experienced me as a hard man. The king doesn't say, I am a hard man. What he says is, you have said that I am a hard man. You experienced me as a hard man. So it, it's a, I think it's a skewed view. Uh, once again, people of the book. Psalm 18, uh, they were all known this psalm. With the kind, you show yourself to be kind. With the blameless, you show yourself to be blameless. With the pure, you show yourself to be pure. With the crooked, you show yourself crooked. So part of that is we tend to see people as we are. Uh, I mean, everyone knows, you you all know people that are not 100% honest. And they tend to think that everybody else is just like them. There are are some people, you know, people that are a little bit lazy. And so in dealing with them, they think everybody else is as lazy as they are. And so you tend to essentially put on tinted glasses to see the world as you are. Uh, And so what the slave actually tells the king, remember, this is a Jewish king, Jewish law, uh, is that the king is not a righteous person. Jewish law. You cannot invest money for interest. Can't do it. So the very fact that the slave tells the king, you should have done this, I could have done this, tells you that he is telling him he is not righteous. So the slave is throwing on the king uh, the fact that you're not a righteous person. That he is telling him, you, you, will, uh, you will do stuff that are outside the law. I thought the king told the slave, you could have at least. Right, but it's, it's the, the slave's skewed view of the king. The slave is insulting the king. No matter how he answers the king, and when he answers the king, you are a hard man, you, you reaped what you did not sow, you picked up what you did not put down. That's an insult to the king. To a Jewish person, that is a insult. Because you're saying you are not righteous. All right. He's a slave. What should the king do to him? If you insult the king, what happens to you? You die. Or for the, the Budweiser people in the room, you go to the pit of misery. Dilly dilly. dilly, dilly that's right. The same thing happens. You're gonna go. Your good things are not gonna happen to you if you insult the king. That's the new word for Amen. That's right, dilly dilly. That's right, dilly dilly. Yeah, do do that in service today. I want to hear it. Uh, so the slave insults the king. He is supposed to die. If, I mean, this is public. This is not. You know, when when you come in, this is you know think. Uh, you know, the throne room, the king's on his throne. He's been appointed as king. He is calling his people up to him and said, show me your books. Tell me who you had transactions with. Tell me, because the people who had had transactions with him are on the king's side, right? So if you go to the bank of the king to borrow money or you sell oil or buy oil from the king, you're on the king's side. So when he says, open these books, let me see your transactions, he wants to know who is on my side, And so they're doing this transaction, and then slave number three or number ten, whichever you want to view, comes up, and basically flat out insults the king in front of everybody else. Has no books to open. Yes. So could he have been buried because he hoped the king wouldn't come back? Yes, that or he was he was afraid. He wasn't sure which way was going to happen because. To be an agent of the king, you have to be up front, going, "Hey, I am, you know, I'm, I'm representing the king." So to put that money out to work, you're, you're, because when you would sign up, you'd say, "You're borrowing money from the king." It's not for me. And that's what Peter did. He kind of, when he denied Christ, it's the same kind of thing here. It, yes, it's very, it's, it's fear of saying, "I can't be in face of this opposition, I can't be strong." for the king. And so he the, this fear rules slave number 3. He 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 doesn't he doesn't do he, he doesn't go on either side. He's trying to walk down the middle. He is not for the king. He is not opposed to the king. So he just hides his money. It really is like fear. denying. Yeah. I don't know, him, but I do. Exactly. And, and and trust me, Pete You know, because the book of Luke, Luke was was not here. Uh, So the book of Luke, you know, Luke's Greek. He doesn't show up until almost 20 years after this point. Luke almost assuredly during his times with Paul and with Peter, talked to Peter and said, tell me stories. And so a lot of these stories would have been Peter. We We know, for instance, the book of Mark, it really is a lot of Peter stories. Another, you know, another Greek that was not here. And so uh, Peter, yeah, so you know Peter is dying every time he tells a story because he knows that he is the slave, that he is not going to take a stand for Jesus, and that he, in fact, insults the king. All right. So you have three outcomes in this parable. You have a reward for faithfulness. The reward is for faithfulness. It's not for your ability. Yes, the people that had ten minas got ten cities and the five cities got five. But the reward is for faithfulness, not productivity. Uh, the, you lose gifts for unfaithfulness because the unfaithful slave had his, his minas taken away and given to one of the other guys. And then if you're in opposition, you deserve death. Uh, so the lessons Jesus wants courageous public faithfulness Jesus is generous because everybody got a gift and more importantly Jesus is generous because he does not the king does not kill the the slave that does nothing even though he deserves it he insults him and he doesn't do what he asks but he just takes the money away from the slave Uh, and then which leaves the open the possibility of repentance because he it's not you didn't do it boom I mean in the Matthew one as soon he took this he took the money away and threw the slave out right he's done here this is an open-ended parable uh, this the slave number three his his fate is up in the air you don't see it same thing for the opposition to Jesus deserves death because he is the king. They don't actually, the very last thing, they don't actually put the people that opposed him to death. He says, bring them here and put them to death in front of me. But he actually does not happen. So once again, it's this hanging, uh, the open-ended parable at the end that to oppose Jesus deserves death. But there is the fact that, the whole thing is that Jesus, the king, is generous he gives people he doesn't necessarily treat you the way your actions deserve to be treated but I, I will admit that that may be overreading a little bit on this because parables tend to have one main theme the main theme is courageous public faithfulness for this again if you remember, if you remember one thing out of these parables this is this Be for me in front of all the people because I'm coming back as the king. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples coming in in the city of Jericho, walking up to Jerusalem. That's not not the message they got until later. But that's what he's telling them with with this parable. I'm coming back as the king. I want you to be faithful witnesses for me until then. They, they were hoping they were going to be faithful princes of the kingdom when he crowns himself king in five days. And then we have the whole, you know, everything flips. But that's, that's the theme of both these parables. All right, I got two minutes. Any questions? Being faithful representatives of the king. And that you're you're given gifts from the king. Uh, you know, the, the gift is, uh, depending on which one you want to pick, the Matthew one or the Luke one, either a lot of money or a whole lot of money. Uh, an incalculable amount or a large amount. But the same thing, everyone's given gifts. And that it's how you... How you are faithful with those gifts as a representative of Jesus is how you are uh, judged. So the judge... grade, not a did you get an A That's that. correct. There's not an A, B, C, D in this. <laughs> no. this, this is pass-fail. Uh, if you're a faithful uh, public follower of Jesus, you pass. If you're not, you're going to fail. Do you think, too, because he tells us right after Zacchaeus, the story of Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus talks about how he's going, or how he has, I mean, it's different ways of it, how he talks about what he's going to do with his money as a tax collector, and Jesus compliments him for how he's going to steward the money that he takes in as a tax collector, and R- right, do you it, think there's some pointing to... Oh, I, I think it's because... The, the good Jews would have thought, Zacchaeus is a bad Jew. He's a tax collector. If, and so when Jesus looks at him and says, you are a disciple of mine, you're going to heaven, essentially is what he tells him. Everyone's going, wow, if he can get in, I'm far more righteous than him. I'm a slam dunk. And then Jesus comes with this story, which is, it's not... It's not an ABC, you know, Zacchaeus is a D, He, you know, he passes the course, just barely, and I'm an A. It's who do you represent in your life? Are you a representative of the king? It's not, you know, are you an A student or D student? It's are you representative? So Zacchaeus, I mean, there's different ways of reading it, but Zacchaeus doesn't seem to say, in response to meeting you, I'm going to do this with my money and be generous. He's it looks to me like he's saying, "This is what I do. I'm already doing this, but I'm kind of classified as right. unrighteous because I'm a tax collector." And Jesus saying, "Let me tell you a parable to explain why Zacchaeus gets it more than some of you guys right. do." See, and, always, yeah, go ahead. Chasing the Zac, Zacchaeus thing, I always took it that that was transformational. And then somewhere when I was studying that, like Zacchaeus's response. And I, and I may not have the number right, and I'm intimidated to say it because of all the scholars. But like to make restitution, I, I want to think it was like 25% of what they had taken. They had to give back, and then an additional 25%. I could be off on that. And so Zacchaeus is coming back and doing more. And maybe that's just because I wanted a heart transformed. But you know that that Zacchaeus was just so overwhelmed with the presence and the grace of Jesus that. Right, yeah, it's, it's, that, it's that thing of Zacchaeus has become a public, Zacchaeus is saying, I am all for you, Jesus, to the point that everything that I have belongs to you. And so if I've, if I've done anyone wrong, I'm restituting that however many hundred percent. Yeah, however many hundred percent he's doing. And then, then he comes immediately to this parable saying, all right, you know, I want you all to be Zacchaeus. Mm-hmm. Yes? Uh, what if there is no coming back? What if, what if you just said, be for me in front of all the people? Is living the life that Christ lived and propounded in, in public teaching like the Sermon on the Mount, is that enough for me? Well, I mean... Would I do this... Well, I mean, Paul, Paul, Paul says if there is no Jesus coming back, we are the the worst of people because I, because we do stuff that nobody else would do. I don't know if I need to buy into that. I know oh, you have to talk to Paul. <laughs> he he outranks me in the hierarchy. <laughs> All right. So next week we'll do a little bit of. Uh, review, look Look through. I'm, I'm going to try to figure out how to send everyone the email without it being like 10 megs long uh, with all the slides. And you can go back to some of the parables and we can talk about questions that you may have. We'll, we'll bring some points out we may have wanted to make in some of the earlier slides and kind of review where we started and where we're at. Alright. See you next week.